Well, most of you are aware that we have been going through a, fa- a series called Not a Fan. And I'm just going to recap the first five weeks in just a minute or two, and then we're going to uh, look into the sixth study that we were doing, the sixth and final study that we're doing today. If you remember, and those who weren't here, the first week was we defined the difference between a fan and a follower. A few weeks before we started the series, I declared that I am not a fan of Jesus. And you all looked at me like, he's finally lost it. It's been confirmed. But the reality is, we described a fan for this series as an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus. Someone who knows about Jesus, likes what they know about Jesus, loves the stories about Jesus, is impressed by the miracles of Jesus, but they're just a fan. A follower is someone who is completely committed to to following Christ, living the way Christ calls us to live, doing whatever it is Christ calls us to do. And, and most of us, are, I would say most of us, can, can identify ourselves somewhere along that line. Hopefully, where none of us have rejected Jesus outright. That's one of the options. Or we've pursued him as a fan. But when you go and gets tough, we discover we're just fans or followers. And there's a transition that usually takes place from fan to follower. We looked in the second week of how if anyone would desire to come after me, anyone, it's an open invitation. You know, since Christ came, the, the doors were opened. The veil was torn. It's for all who choose to respond. Anyone could come. That does a number of things. But one of the things it does is get rid of a lot of our excuses. I'm so bad, I'm so this, I'm so that, or you don't know and you don't understand. All those excuses go out the window. Anyone who wants to, anyone who chooses to. And the third week, we followed up on that with choosing intimacy. And we really compared knowledge versus intimacy. And it kind of built off the previous ones, obviously, but, you know, knowledge will never replace intimacy. You can know all about Jesus. You can know and quote Scripture left and right. But that doesn't mean that you really intimately have a relationship with Christ. And it takes an act of our will. We eventually have to choose. We have to make a choice. And that's what we were talking about in that third week or fourth week. And what makes it a challenge is when when we choose, we find in the fourth week we talked about the cross. And what the cross represented in the Jewish culture was an instrument of death. Weakness, ultimate weakness. It was shame, guilt, condemnation. And then, then we discovered that Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross daily. Pick up your cross daily. And we talked about how we have made it a comfortable cross. We, we decide that we'll define what it means to look like as a Christian or a follower of Christ. I'll follow you, well, except in that area or this area. I believe your word is all truth except those areas that I really don't like much that ruin my fun. Defining the cross, defining our Christianity, there's no room for that in the life of a follower. And then in the fifth week, last week, we talked about that it's way more than just rules. A lot of us or many of us grew up in in churches maybe where it was rules, a lot of thou shalt nots. Now granted, the Bible has rules, has concepts, has principles that we're supposed to follow. But man seems to implement all these rules and then base on a, based on our performance, judge us as to whether we're worthy or good enough or not for God. And if the world doesn't, we do it to ourselves. 
And rules, following rules, never saved anybody. And they never ever will. We looked at the rules and, and how they can be such a burden that, that it just can get confusing. What rules am I supposed to follow? Am I good enough? Am I there? And it can cause us to, to get frustrated and walk away. And they don't inspire grace. Now again, it's not that we're against rules. But when rules replace relationship, that's where there's a problem. And Jesus is a God of grace. When we repent, he forgives us. Those rules do not inspire grace. And they do not keep us around. Some of us grew up in in churches or homes, and hopefully none of our homes are like this yet today, where there's rules, 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 rules. Tell you what, if there's not relationship, if there's not grace, as soon as there's an opportunity, we will flee the rules. We will flee the lifestyle, we will flee the church, we will flee the relationship with Christ. Rules without a relationship will lead to rebellion every time. Which brings us to today. Today's message is simply three words. The title is, Is Jesus Enough? Is Jesus Enough? Now, most of us, if we have any kind of relationship with the Lord at all, we'd say yes right away. But I want you to really open your minds and open your hearts as we go through this today and discover, is he really enough in my life? Let's pray before I continue. God, we pray as we, we discuss and we look into your word and trust you. Open our hearts and minds to your truths that we might hear your Holy Spirit speak clearly. That we would discover what it is that you have for us, want for us, where we're at on this walk with you. Help us to even more clearly define the relationship that we have with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And when we started this series, you may remember, some of you, that we were looking at a particular scene in John chapter 6. In this particular scene, there were great crowds traveling with Jesus. And if you can imagine this, I mean, when I talk about a great crowd, the estimates here, it says 5,000 men, but there was probably 10 to 15, maybe 20,000 people. This great crowd was following Jesus. I mean, it's like 15,000 groupies. Wherever Jesus went, they went. Why? Because he was at the height of his popularity. His miracles and words of the news of his miracles had been spreading. His teaching was amazing. I mean, they would say, who is this guy? We've never heard anybody teach like this before. His words have a power and authority. So the crowds were following him. And we come to this place in John chapter 6 where it says Jesus went around the lake or the sea and he went to the other side and because this massive crowd is following him, I like to picture these things in my mind. Can you imagine? There's Jesus and behind him there's this parade of people. Thousands following him. And it says he gets to the other side of the lake and he kind of walks up and the Bible says a mountain, but really their mountains were pretty much really big hills. So he started to work his way up the hill and he's looking back at this mass of humanity following him. And then it says he knew what he was going to do, but he asked Philip a question. Now, how many of you feel like you're getting set up when you know the person asking you a question? Or you know they know the answer and they want to see if you do. I hate that. Because right away I think, uh-oh, I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to feel stupid and all my rejection issues start rearing their ugly head. 
Well, it says, Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he says to Philip, Philip, how in the world are we going to get enough money to feed all these people? And Philip says, gee, Lord, if we had seven, eight months worth of wages, 200 denarii, it wouldn't be enough. I'm thinking in my mind, would they have a Hy-Vee bakery? I mean, what was he thinking? Even if they had the money, where are you going to get enough bread for 15,000 people? And what is he testing Philip in? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But he knew what he was going to do. And then Peter's brother, Andrew, was there. And Andrew says, Lord, and again, I just picture mine. He's probably walking through this crowd of people. And he says, I saw a boy out there, a young boy, and he had a basket. And in the basket, there were five barley loaves of bread, and there were two fish. Now, can you imagine if you're Philip standing over here listening to this going, yeah, so? God says, great. Get the boy, get the basket, bring the fish and the bread to me. And it says he went and he prayed and he blessed it. And we know the story, I think. They fed the 5,000 or 10,000 or 15,000. The Bible says 5,000 men. We don't know how many people were really there. Thousands of people. He fed them all and there was food left over. And then it says they spent the night. But during the night... Jesus got up. The disciples got in their boat and went to the other side. And Jesus decided to walk on water, you know, whatever. Don't we all? But he goes to the other side. So when the people wake up in the morning, they're all looking for Jesus. And anyway, thousands of people, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Nobody can find Jesus, and finally they figure out, oh, there's a boat or two missing. I bet he went to the other side. So they got in some boats, and a bunch of them walked around the other side of the lake, and they get over there, and, and they, they find Jesus. And I'm thinking, man, these are some committed followers of Jesus, aren't they? I mean, they spent the night sleeping on a hillside, probably didn't even have sleeping bags. And now they walked around the lake to find Jesus. Committed. Maybe. And when they get to the other side, they look and say, Jesus, we were looking all over for you. Where did you go? Let me paraphrase that. Jesus, we're hungry. Where's breakfast? We had supper last night. That was awesome. But we're hungry again. When this happens, Jesus makes this decision. He says, I am going to close the all-you-can-eat buffet. And we're going to find out if Jesus is enough. In John chapter 6, verse 26 and 27, it says this. Jesus is responding to them and he says, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, but you're not looking for me. But not because you saw miraculous signs, because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Then he says, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus is is confronting them, and he says, you didn't even follow me for the miracles. You just followed me for the food. And in verse 28 through 31, I'm going to just read it. Just listen to me. It's not going to be on the screen. They said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God. In other words, what should we do that God will approve of? 
and then he'll approve of us. Not a bad question, necessarily. Then Jesus answered and said to him, This is the work of God. Now, so he's answering their question. What should we do to be approved by God? And he says, this is what you need to do. This is the work that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then their response was this. They said to him, well, what then do you do for a sign for us that we may see and believe you? What work are you going to perform? What miracle? I mean, gee, he just fed 15,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And then he walked across the lake. But he says, what are you going to do? And then they go on and say, well, you know, our fathers, when they were in the wilderness, they ate the manna that came down from heaven in the wilderness, and, he's, and he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And then Jesus goes on, and man, we, remember we were talking about the DTR moment, the DTR conversation that defined the relationship conversation. Jesus is about to enter into a real define the relationship conversation with these people. So he says to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus knows these people are not following him, but rather the food. They're selfish. This is a fan mentality. I'm going to be a fan as long as it blesses me. How many Vikings football fans became less of a fan about 9 o'clock Thursday night? Why would, God, you just felt yuck if you were watching that game. I'm thinking, I'm turning the channel. I don't care what's on. Political commercials will even work. Why? Because it made me feel rotten. I didn't like it. And I'm a fan. I really admire you guys, except you're losing. I don't admire you anymore. And that's what Jesus is saying to these people. You're a bunch of fans, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show you. I have just, you've asked me for bread that will only feed you for a little while, and I offered you the bread that you'll never hunger again. And they're looking at him. And then they even go further. They say to him in verse, uh, let's see where I can find it. He offers them the bread. And then they start grumbling in verse 41. John chapter 6, verse 41. The Jews, therefore, were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down out of heaven. And they were saying, isn't this just that guy named Jesus? The son of Joseph, whose mom and dad we know. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Boy, were they uncovered as fans. You're declaring you're the bread of life, that you came the bread, you're the bread from heaven? Wait a minute, I know where you're from and I know your mom and dad. You aren't that. You are not the bread of life. And here it is, Jesus offering this amazing, amazing gift of himself. And they reject it. You know, in verse 40 that I didn't read and didn't put up there, I don't believe, it says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So that's the last words out of Jesus' mouth before they said, Who the heck does he think he is? We know his folks. He's from Nazareth. 
and he's going to raise us up on the last day, who does he think he is? Fans. Which leads me to my first major point, believe it or not. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you find out what you're really hungry for. When everything else is taken away and all that's left is Jesus, you find out if you're really hungry for Jesus or if you're hungry for all the perks, all the benefits. Where do you turn when there's nowhere else to turn? Where do you go when you see no other options? That's when you find out if Jesus is really enough or not. When all of our natural abilities are going to fall short, the resources that we have in the natural are all used up and spent, and there's no place to go, we find out, is Jesus enough? When we go to the doctor and they diagnose cancer, when our spouse or a loved one gets killed in a tragic accident, when divorce destroys a marriage, when an addiction seems like it's totally unbeatable, when a relationship looks like it could never be restored, something amazing happens. We find out that Jesus is the only thing that's enough. And when we get to that place of realizing, we find out he's all we needed all along. That he's enough and nothing else is. Is Jesus enough? Religion is no longer enough. Religion without that relationship just will not get you through this. Knowledge, knowing all about Jesus without a relationship is not enough. Great music and a Sunday morning worship service isn't enough if there's not a relationship when all of these things fail us. It's only Jesus. So when he's the only thing on the menu, that's when we discover. He's way more than a character in a book and all the stories that we read. And he's certainly way more than a a picture of some man's rendition of Jesus that hangs on our wall. He's the real thing. A lot of people, believe it or not, and I, I think we can get this, a lot of people hang around for the perks. You know, I have a lot of people that come to me and say, boy, that was really fun coming to your church. And I want to hear that. I, I'm glad it's fun to come to church. But if it's only fun, it's a waste of time. If it's only good music, it's a waste of time. If it's only good fellowship, it's a waste of time. All those things are awesome. All those things should be part of what we experience. But if it's not drawing us closer to Jesus, revealing more of Christ to us, if it's not changing our hearts and changing our lives, it's just another show. It's just another event. And you know what? The emotional high that we might get will certainly disappear in a big-time hurry. And then we might have to come back. And it's great that we can come back. But you know what? Jesus is saying to these people, you know what? You're going to get hungry again. You're going to get thirsty again. Why don't you eat of the bread of life and drink of the water and you'll never thirst and you'll never hunger again? I can meet all those needs. And that's the same thing it is for us. But then we see something that happens next. And a lot of you probably remember in, in John 6.6.6. I don't make a big deal of things like this, but I sure think it's interesting that that happens to be the location of this particular verse. If you know what the number 666 represents. 
biblically, is the Antichrist. Here it is, John 6, verse 66, it says, From this time many of his disciples turned back, and they no longer followed him. Thousands of people were following him, spending the night on a hillside. Didn't even have food, they didn't come prepared. And what happens? Jesus said, I'm the only thing on the menu, here I am. I am the one. The work you must do is believe in me. I am the one sent from heaven. He who believes in me will receive eternal life and I will raise you up on the last day. And they go, ah, no thanks. We'll go find something better. I'm hungry. Let's go home. Fans will turn and go home. I had to do everything in my strength to not turn the TV off Thursday night at halftime. It's pathetic if you're a fan. And that's what happens with our relationship with the Lord. Many fans will not affect the real invitation of Jesus. And the sad truth is many fans think they have already accepted the real invitation of Jesus. And they haven't. In verse, uh, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now that's a sobering verse. There's two gates and two roads. One's this great big wide gate and this great big wide road, and the other one's this narrow gate with a narrow road. And what's it say? Many will be on this road. Only a few are going to be on this road. Boy, that shoots everybody's going to heaven theology out the window in a hurry. Few. Narrow is the gate. What's the gate? Jesus. He is the only way. An intimate relationship with Him, knowing Him, surrendering our life to Him. There's a whole lot of people out there, and, and in this series we're referring to it as fans. But there's a whole lot of people out there that like the idea of heaven. They love the idea of miracles. That sounds pretty cool. They like the bread. They like the benefits. They like the show. They like being around the people. They like the excitement. When it was all off the table, they say, no, thank you, I'm leaving now and I'm going to another party. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Can you imagine the heart of Jesus at about that time? We see in John 6... Verse 67, Jesus looks at the twelve and he says, are you going to leave me too? It gives us a clear impression that the only ones left were basically the twelve. And Jesus looks at him and says, are you leaving me too? Are you fans or are you followers? You remember when he called them, he said, hey, come and fan, come and cheer me on, come and root for me. No, he didn't. He said, follow me. Fisherman, follow me. Tax collector, follow me. Forsake all, follow me. Moment of truth. Moment of truth for these 12. And Peter responds in John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Boy, and that question, where, Lord, where should we go? Where would we go? Where could we go? You know, begs to ask a whole lot of other questions. Lord, who could ever lead us like you can? 
Who could ever teach us and with the wisdom that you teach us with? Who could ever bring us close to God like you can bring us close to God? When you're teaching, we feel like we're right there. Who could ever do that? Who could ever uh, want to leave the Messiah? We believe you're the Messiah. Why would anybody want to leave the Messiah? You're the only one worth following. Who would ever compare to you? Peter says, Lord, where would we go? Fans will bail when the teaching gets tough. When our ears are no longer tickled, but our toes are getting stomped on, we leave if we're a fan. I know lots of people that left churches because they didn't like what the pastor said. And the pastor was quoting scripture. It gets tough for a fan when the teaching isn't what they want to hear. It gets really, really uncomfortable to to know that we need to sacrifice, that we need to pick up our cross, we need to die to ourselves daily. It gets really uncomfortable, and we discovered a few weeks ago that uncomfortableness is not what a fan wants. I want to be comfortable. But I think it goes beyond comfort. I think if they really knew, if we really, 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 really knew about Jesus, our behavior and our actions would represent that. I mean, we say we believe a lot of these things, but do we really believe that once we get saved, our ticket to heaven is absolutely guaranteed? Guaranteed. Do we believe that, that we can have full assurance that Jesus is the Son of God? He is the Son of God. I mean, just that, if we really believe that, are we going to ever run the other way? Of course not. If we really, really believe it. If we're 100% positive that following Jesus in this life, no matter what it brings us, we are going to have an eternity of bliss and of worship in the presence of God the Father with all the angels and all the saints in heaven. If we're 100% positive, I think most of us would stick around. We would stand strong for God. We would stand strong for His teachings. I believe if we really, really, really believe that, we would look different. We would act different. I really, really, really believe that, that if we truly believe that God's Word is absolute truth, when it comes to discussing should one man be married to one woman and that's how we define marriage, the church would be out there standing strong saying, that's what the Word of God says. And it wouldn't even be on a ballot to be voted on. But the church remains silent. If we really, really believe the Word of God is true, we would stand out there and declare the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. We would stand and be different. We would, we would make a stand for sexuality and purity to be what the Bible says. Homosexuality is sin. It's not an acceptable alternative lifestyle. That's what it is. That's what the Bible says. We are called to love our neighbors unconditionally. Love them. Not judge. Not criticize. Can you imagine if we really believed what the Word says, wouldn't we look different? How would it look when there came opportunities to share Jesus with somebody? I believe we would act differently. I wouldn't be so overcome with fear I can't breathe when I talk. It comes off funny. I'd be confident Because I really, really, really believe that what I've got to share is the very best thing there ever, ever could be. So I really believe, if we really, really believe, our life and our actions would look different. 
But here's the problem. And this is my second point. A third point. I don't know where I'm at. It's a point. Here's another point. I think it's the third one. If you're you're following me better than I am, all right, good. You have to read this one a couple times to get it. I think the problem is this. We don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. We don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. What the heck does that mean? I mean, if I only had my future laid out before me, I'd believe. Just show me my future. If I would really get an audible voice from God, or if he chose to paint it in the sky, and it started with Mike Nelson, please listen. If, if, if he would show it to me that way. I mean, if he would just give me a clear, clear picture, a clear vision. Or if I would turn around and there'd stand Michael the archangel and Gabriel next to him. Saying, Mike... If he would just tell me those ways. If he would just give me some unmistakable sign that he's alive. If he would only give me an unmistakable sign that he's really in charge and and the people around me aren't in charge. If he would really just give me this unmistakable, undeniable knowledge and understanding somehow that Jesus really is the Son of God. If, 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 if. If I would only know that way, then I'd believe. And sadly, we fall into that a lot. We fall into that. If I only knew the way I wished I knew, then I could believe the way I should believe. But you know what? The disciples had to make a choice just like we did. Now we can say, yeah, but they had Jesus standing right there. Okay, yes, that's, that's a plus. I'll give them that. They got to see him do the miracles, and that's pretty cool. I'll give him that. But so did all the other people. They all saw Jesus too. They saw all the miracles. They saw all this, and they all left. We've got history. We've got the Word of God. We've got archaeology. We've got science. We've got all these things that point that this is absolute truth, what this book says. So we're just like the disciples. We have to choose. We have to choose. And I think if we choose correctly, our life looks completely different. We're going to show a quick video here. As an introduction, it comes down to this. Is Jesus enough? And are we ready and willing to choose to move from being a fan to a real follower? Elodie? Hebrews 9.27 says, Man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. Those are the two guarantees. We will all die and we will all stand before God. I'm not even asking if you believe in Jesus. I am asking, are you a follower of Jesus? Because one day there are many who say, I am a follower that will stand before God and be declared fans. For those of you not in the life groups and following the videos, you may not recognize the characters, but I'd encourage you to come to the movie. You can see it all play out. We don't know the day, but we know the name. Jesus. Jesus is coming back one day, and there will be a judgment day. It's going to happen. 
It is going to happen. More sure than any of us are actually in this room, and that's pretty sure. It's going to happen. We don't know when he's going to return. We don't know that any more than we know when our health is going to fail us. We don't know when we might lose our job and our finances become a disaster. We don't know when relationships are going to fall apart. We don't know. It could happen at any time. But we know the name, and that's Jesus. In Acts 4.12, it says so clearly, any Christian that knows this verse should be able to speak truth to those who think there's another way. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Nobody, I would believe, wants to be declared a, just a fan on Judgment Day. There's another scripture that's really an awakener. In Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name didn't we drive out demons, and didn't we perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doer. And notice the words carefully. I never knew you. It's not I used to know you and you blew it. It's I never knew you. You were doing all those things in my name, but I never knew you. It was my name I was honoring, not you. I never knew you. Not the answer we want to hear. We don't always get the guarantees we want, but you know what the amazing thing is? Jesus gives us a whole bunch of guarantees. Just a few of them. He says if you put your trust in him, he'll never, ever, ever, ever fail you. Never. He's a good God and he only will, wants good for his children. He'll never fail you. Now you and I may not understand what it looks like at times, but he'll never fail you. He guarantees it. It says if you put your trust and hope in him, he will guide you all the way into eternity with God the Father. Boy, guaranteed. My guide to heaven is Jesus. If you stake your life on his message of truth, the gospel message of truth, he says he'll never leave you. He'll never, ever abandon you. Never. You'll never be alone. He'll lead you out of every single dark place in your life into his wonderful light. Man, those are some amazing guarantees. And you don't even have to spend extra money to get the guarantee. It's given to us. But we have to decide. You know, we're about to the conclusion of this series called Not a Fan. You know, it started with the question, are you a fan or are you a follower? And we're going to kind of go back to that same question. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Now, having said that, we need to understand, for a lot of us who absolutely make that decision, there will be a time where we still look like a fan even though we are really a follower. Because it's a process we're going to go through. But if we're just a fan and there is not a relationship in Christ, there's no hope because there's nowhere else. There's no other name. 
His guarantees are only for those who are followers. You know, this morning, I'd, and we don't do this very often, but I just want to offer this challenge to all of us. If, if we were to die, would we go to heaven? Would we stand before the judge and he'd say, follower, coming in, my child, I'm well pleased with you. Is there any doubt in our mind? Any doubt whatsoever in our mind that we're truly part of God's family, that we're truly saved? Have you ever actually really done what is required in the sense of acknowledging, I am a sinner? There's no no rules. There's nothing I can do. That's what I was. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. And Jesus was the sacrifice. He died so I didn't have to die in my sin. And God, in his grace and his mercy, offers us that gift of salvation. Just accept the fact that Jesus died for me, a sinner. And say, yes, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I will follow you. If you've never done that, today's a good day to do it. And in just a moment, we're going to have the worship team come up here. As a matter of fact, you guys can come on up if you want. And we would like to, to give that opportunity for anyone to come forward and have us pray with you. But also, I want to go further than that with this. I want to challenge us to ask the question of your own self. What do I want to do? Do I want to stay comfortable where I'm at in my relationship? I made that prayer that Mike was just talking about once, but that, and that's good enough. I want to slide into heaven. Or do you want to be a follower? Have you decided to, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going to follow Jesus. He's the only show in town. I'm going to trust him. No matter where I'm at in my life, no matter what's going on in my life, I'm going to follow Jesus. There is something significant to making a stand and making it publicly. We're not going to make a big deal out of it because that's not the way I work. But I want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. You know what? I've never, I don't think I've ever said this before. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Not, not so you can't see what's going on, but I don't want you to be distracted. And I just want you to say, Lord... Am I a fan or follower? Ask yourself, am I a fan? Am I a follower? Lord, I want to be a more committed follower. I want to just ask you, if you in these last six weeks have made that decision or you're making that decision today, I want to just ask you to go ahead and raise your hand. Don't worry about everybody distracting. Just raise your hand. I want to see if you've made that choice. I'm going to be a more committed follower than I have been. No matter where I'm at, I'm going to be better at it. I'm going to, Lord, by your grace, with your help, I am going to be a more committed follower. Amen. You can put your hands down. Let's stand and worship in this last song. And if there is anybody who would like prayer, first of all, to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you would just like to have somebody agree with you in prayer, in your new commitment to become more of a follower, I want to invite you to come forward as we're closing in this song. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. If you're having a conviction to do that and receive prayer, come on up right away. Let's, let's just respond to what God's speaking to your heart.
Father, we thank you that you are patient and long-suffering with your children. God, I pray for each one of us here, each one that has made that fresh commitment to be a real follower, to trust in you in ways that they've never trusted before. God, we can only do those things by your Holy Spirit working in us and our obedience to your leading. So Lord, I pray you would give us obedient hearts, give us spiritual ears to hear your voice clearly. God, that we would truly be your representatives in our community and amongst our families in the workplace. God, I pray your protection over us as your children, as your people. The enemy cannot have a place. God, we praise you and thank you for the wonderful privilege and joy it is of calling you our Heavenly Father, being your children, being joint heirs with Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, I thank you and praise you. I pray now, Lord, as we go our separate ways today, you would go before us, watch over us, protect us. God, I pray for each one of the life groups as they enter into this final segment on the Not a Fan. God, that your spirit moves in a powerful way. God, again, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have an awesome week.